This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to an amazing Tuesday here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. We're coming at you with all the stories, all the things that nobody else wants to cover, nobody else wants to talk about, the kind of information you can't catch anywhere else. And that's what we're covering here today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, not just like every other show you may listen to on the radio or podcast talking about national issues. No, this is Kentucky's only Monday through Friday conservative show that focuses specifically on Kentucky issues and get you involved in the issues going on right in your own backyard. So I want to take a moment to remind you about yesterday's action alert on House Bill 204. For those of you who don't remember or didn't listen yesterday, shame on you, but you can go back and listen to yesterday's show by visiting theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. But for those of you who don't remember, House Bill 204 is a bill by uh, Representative Proctor. It's held up in the Health Services Committee, chaired by Representative Kim Mosier. House Bill 204 would do away with what's called the competitor's veto in our um, certificate of need laws. So in Kentucky, of course, any hospital healthcare provider that wants to add beds, purchase equipment, uh, expand locations, they have to ask for permission from the government. And a part of that process right now in that permission giving is the government then turns around and asks there would be competitors if it's okay if you go ahead and open up and compete with the healthcare providers in the area. And that is called the competitor's veto. So House Bill 204 would remove that competitor's veto. Of course, uh, Kim Mosier doesn't want to call it forward. A lot to do with the fact that she and her husband both work for uh, St. East. Or, well, I don't know if she does. I don't think she does. But her husband works for St. East, St. Elizabeth Hospitals. She's also the Kentucky Hospital Association's kind of go-to legislator. And, um, of course, you know, St. East, St. Elizabeth in northern Kentucky has a complete monopoly on all the health care up there. So they don't want to see this moving forward. So she's refusing to move it forward, but that's why we're calling on you to call 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181 to go ahead and, and call up there, ask to leave a message for Representative Kim Mosier telling her to move House Bill 204. You can also email her at Kimberly.Mosier at LRC.KY.gov. So just a reminder about that we talked about yesterday. I don't want to dwell on it too long, but I did want to bring that up. Now, I do have uh, kind of an interesting story for you to cover 
from the media aspect mixed with obviously some things going on that we do need to talk about. And so uh, earlier this week, what, yesterday or two days ago, um, there was a, I think Sunday, there was a white supremacist march, quote unquote, white supremacist march uh, in Paducah in front of a historically black church. Um, this was the, I think they're called the Patriot Front or something. Uh, you've maybe seen some of their, their marches around. They, I think they wear like the khakis and the white mass. And um, I think they wear like blue jackets or something. Some say they're feds. Uh, of course, you know, I try to stay as journalistically integral as I can without um, lying to you about my own personal biases. There's a part of me that thinks these people may in fact be uh, perhaps plants, but you know, you know, we'll put that conspiracy to the side. We'll take this at face value. Okay. So anyway, so these people marched uh, down in Paducah. We have a story from WPSD uh, down there in Paducah. Let's take uh, a listen to that now. We begin tonight with breaking news. A group of people believed to be part of a white supremacist organization were seen marching today in front of Washington Street Baptist Church, a historical black church in Paducah. City Commissioner and Pastor Ronaldo Henderson described it to us as unsettling. He said the group was silent as they marched and did not make contact with him or his congregation. A viewer sent us this video of the people marching in downtown Paducah this afternoon. The group is seen wearing white face coverings, concealing their identities and holding flags with what appears to be the Patriot Front symbol, which is a white supremacist organization. That organization believes in preserving America's identity as European American nation. Ahead at 10, you'll hear from members of Washington Street Baptist Church about their experience today. Now, chances are, chances are, you have heard <laughs> about that story uh, before now. Chances are it's, it's been on the news and you've really uh, kind of dug into it. And well, maybe you haven't dug into it, but you definitely heard the news really going over it. And, and make no mistake, this is awful, very, very bad. These are horrible people. Racism's awful. I, I mean, this is absolutely a ridiculous thing to do. You know, it, it condemning people based simply on their skin color is an absolutely horrible thing to do. But I want to compare this with an incident you probably haven't heard of at all happening. And this happened in Lexington uh, about 10, 11 days ago uh, at city council. And what, what occurred is, is for the last several city council meetings, these pro-Hamas protesters, pushers, have showed up demanding that the city of Lexington pass an ordinance uh, condemning Israel and telling them to cease fire and withdrawal and stop attacking Hamas, the, the, of course, the terrorists that came after them and, and to, you know, even if they could go further into calling for a, a free Palestinian state. Now, we've dug into a little bit of this as it's popped up around Lexington, around Kentucky, especially, and, and I've commented that these people, you know, they show up in droves to these things, to these city council meetings. Now, as we discovered with that drag show nun, that a lot of times these people are coming from out of state. Of course, I'm talking about that drag show nun that showed up to protest against those uh, bills protecting youth from that trans ideology. And Bashir took a picture with one of them. Well, it turns out uh, that they're from like Wisconsin and an accused child uh, pedophile. But anyways, um, you know, nowhere in Kentucky showing up to these things. It's very likely 
likely that these are, you know, the same group of 100, 200 that show up in Louisville, show up in Lexington, show up in Cincinnati. They're all the same group dedicated to getting cities to somehow condemn Israel for what they're doing. And earlier this month, there was a situation that occurred uh, where Rabbi, Rabbi Litvin, which, you know, Rabbi Litvin is um, not conservative at all. He's definitely a, a little bit of a, a leftist to a degree, um, not just to a degree, but he's definitely, I think, on the left. But regardless of that, Rabbi uh, Litvin um, showed up at the city council to speak and to go over a few things. And there was quite an altercation, but you probably haven't heard about this like at all. And we're going to hear what rabbi had to say. We're going to dig into those details, but I think it's important that we discuss this because we've seen not only is this what's happening in Paducah awful, but we have a, a completely not different, but a, a, a very similar incident, if not possibly worse incident happening in Lexington that you probably haven't even heard of. I mean, a lot of my listeners, there's some that live out in Western Kentucky that have seen this, but a lot of my listeners, you know, WZXI is based in the Central Kentucky area. Uh, I know we've got a lot of listeners up in Northern Kentucky and Louisville. Out West, we have some. East, we have some. Don't get me wrong, but chances are all of you, for the most part, have heard about this white supremacy march in Paducah, but you haven't heard about what happened in Lexington involving actual threats of violence based along the same types of ideologies and, and racist ideologies that say you should attack people based upon immutable characteristics like their skin color. You probably haven't heard about it at all. And that goes in, of course, to the media bias. And we'll be talking about a story later on, too, to kind of show a little bit more of that media bias. Uh, but I do have to take a quick break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubretter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. If you want to reach out to the show, feel free to email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll be back here in a few, few short minutes to continue talking about uh, this dichotomy between these stories to really show what the media's agenda is on this. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And you are back with the Andrew Cooper writer show your source for Kentucky politics for the break. We were mentioning how you likely have heard as I think most people in Kentucky have about the white supremacy March that happened in Paducah, I believe on Sunday uh, in front of a black, a historically black church. Uh, this Patriot front group could be feds could not, you know, depends on how conspiratorial you want to get. But anyways, about them marching down Paducah, but you probably haven't heard about the situation that happened in Lexington. So in Lexington at a city council hearing where of course they were continuing this public comment uh, on 
whether or not the Lexington City Council, because Israel really cares what they have to say, uh, on condemning Israel and, um, you know, condemning Israel for their attacks on Hamas, refusing to do business with uh, Israeli companies. That's another thing they want to demand, uh, calling for a ceasefire, calling for a free state of Palestine, all those things. And speaking against that, speaking, uh, you know, basically for the Jewish community, we had Rabbi Litvin. Let's take a listen to what. Uh, he had to say at that event. This is not a substantive program, project, but rather a performative one. At a time when the council has real issues to deal with, as we heard earlier tonight, issues of homelessness, of economy, including nine shootings here in Lexington and two homicides this year alone. Secondly, calling for a ceasefire is not necessary. A ceasefire has been offered and on the table since October 7th. The only preconditions being the return of the hostages who have been kidnapped, and the disarmament and surrender of the Hamas terrorist group. There was a tremendous amount of anti-Semitic lies that were espoused here today, and I won't respond to all of them, but the fact remains unquestionable. A ceasefire resolution would not affect the war in Gaza. It would only serve to cause further damage to our community here in Lexington. The city had the moral clarity to condemn the attacks on October 7th, and the mayor brought, can I say the mayor? The mayor brought together leaders both from the pro-Israel community and the pro-Hamas community to ensure the conflict there does not bring the violence here. This effort, accompanied hypocritically by calls to globalize the Intifada and for further violence against Jews, does the exact opposite. The council is right to reject these efforts and to focus on Lexington. Calling for violence against Jews, as we have seen at anti-Semitic rallies here in town, at anti-Semitic town, town halls, here in town will have no effect on the situation in Gaza, but it will have grave effects on all communities here in Lexington. I thank you all for your time. I'm Yisrael Chai. Hey, I'm Palestinian. I am not Hamas. Will someone please remove these folks from who this is not permitted in the council? You may not be in here with that kind of behavior. We have been respectful and listened to every single person who spoke, and everyone deserves. So that was uh, his speech from that. Now, according to his Twitter regarding this event, and um, you can hear him kind of talk there, and then also at the end of his talk, you hear um, a person get up and actually start to yell uh, at him about, you know, how they disagree with him and had to be asked to be, you know, removed um, or told that he'd be removed. Several people had to be removed from that event. And so according to the rabbi's Twitter, right, um, at the end of the hearing now off camera, once the or not hearing, but at the end of the city council meeting off camera, um, this is Corian once again, what the rabbis tweeted here. So the anti-Semitic chants started to be called uh, by those who are there, the hundreds, uh, supposedly hundreds that are there, to uh, call for Lexington to take some stand on Israel's conflict with Gaza. And so uh, they start chanting uh, genocidal slogans, uh, threats, um, you know, of course, genocidal threats against Jews, uh, threats against the Jews that were there uh, to make testimony in front of the city council. Such 
a, a fear of violence and threats that the police had to actually escort the Jews back to their cars while pro-Hamas groups continued to yell out these vile things. And so we have two situations here, both awful and racist, both built on hateful ideologies calling for the harm and subjugation of people simply based upon their race. But which one will you hear about? Which one works for the media's narrative, specifically the left media's narrative? Which one, which one feeds them better? I mean, you have one involving police having to escort people for their safety while actual threats were being lobbed at them from a racist bunch. And on the other hand, in Paducah, you have a bunch of losers, possibly feds, a bunch of losers marching around with flags. And you heard it from the, if you're listening to the first segment, the WPSD uh, uh news report on this you heard it from them that they didn't even say anything they just marched quietly holding their flags of course i'm not defending their ideology i think it's awful but the point being is that one would actually involve police and threats of violence and the other quiet marching by a bunch of losers which one will you hear about despite one being objectionably worse and closer to becoming violent it just goes to show they, they cover what they need to cover in order to get their point across, in order to serve their narrative. And it's funny because we hear the Herald Leader, local media, you hear all these newspapers, other groups talk about how they're worried about their industry dying. You've seen mass layoffs in the media. And, and trust me, if you follow any of the Herald Leader or Courier Journal reporters, uh, you will often see them talking about how local news matters and blah, blah, blah. And they'll claim that, well, you know, we're, we're trying not to be biased as much as we can. But it's not just what, how you cover the things you cover, but it's what you're choosing not to cover. Why is the marching of Patriot Front in Paducah more worthy of news coverage than threats of violence, police having to escort people in Lexington? Why is that more reportable? Either A, there's really not that much racist activity uh, by white, quote unquote, supremacists that when it does occur, it's so newsworthy, everybody has to cover it. And it's just expected for far left agitators to come out and attack Jews. And, and, and so that's not as newsworthy. Possibly you could be saying that's it. Or is it because it doesn't follow their agenda? But on the subject, not just their, their bias when it comes to to what they choose to cover, but their bias on how they cover things. We've got a story from the Kentucky Lantern. Now, I want to make sure you know who the Kentucky Lantern says they are. This is from their about page, okay? About us. The Kentucky Lantern is an independent, nonpartisan free news service. We're based in Frankfurt, a short walk from the capital, but all of Kentucky is our beat. We focus on how decisions made in the marble halls of power ripple through the lives of Kentuckians. We bring intentions, attention to injustices and hold institutions and officials accountable. We tell the stories of Kentuckians who are making a difference and shine a light on what's working. Our journalism is aimed at building a fair, healthier Kentucky for all. So they claim, they claim to be an independent, nonpartisan free news service. 
It's funny too, they call themselves independent because you'd think, well, maybe Andrew, they're just saying they're independent from some sort of national journalist group, but that'd be wrong because later on in their About Us, they say the Lantern is part of State's Newsroom, a nonprofit coast-to-coast network, a journalist that worked to fill in gaps in state government reporting caused by declining numbers of state and local journalists. So once again, (laughs) what do we see? We see that they are a part of a larger group So by independent, they must mean politically independent and nonpartisan. But yet, from everything they cover, I would call them one of the most uh, liberal news sources. Why? Well, just for an example, uh, on their About Us, and this is how crazy they think. They think this is nonpartisan, this is nonpolitical. On their About Us, they have a category called DEIJ, which stands for diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. This is what they said. They said, media outlets too often reinforce harmful stereotypes and perpetuate forms of discrimination, thereby leaving large parts of communities they serve excluded or misrepresented. The news industry has long been led by a privileged subset of the population and the bias and systematic racism that reporters chronicle in their stories often is presented in journalism itself. State Newsroom and Kentucky Lantern commit to do better. We pledge to embody the values of diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And we ask readers to hold us accountable. We embrace diversity and equity as inherent to our mission to be a news source for every member of a community and as an organ of the First Amendment freedoms for all people. And they go on like this to continue about how awesome and DEIE they are, which is funny because once again, when you go to their about and you look at uh, their reporters, um, they don't seem very diverse. You know, I don't look at a single one of them and say, oh, okay, she clearly is, uh," and I say she because three of them are women and one's a a guy. Um, And I don't look at them saying, oh, wow, these people are obviously uh, very, very, you know, uh, diverse in their viewpoints. I look at their backgrounds, I've read their stories, and they're clearly very, very liberal. Now, I do a news show, but I tell you, I am biased from the conservative standpoint. I tell you that I'm coming at this from a conservative viewpoint, but they present themselves as saying they are non-biased and non-partisan while they make partisan statements on their about me. So why do I even talk about the Kentucky Lantern today of all days? Well, if we just go ahead and take a look at one of their most recent articles and people who listened to our show last week know we did a, a an episode where we sat down with an expert on this to interview them, but the... Um, Kentucky Lantern published an article called uh, The Kentucky Republicans Attack on Fluoride is Mind-Boggling Given Decades of Established Scientific Results, Dentists Say. That's the title of the article. We're going to be digging into exactly what the article says after this short break from this nonpartisan news source, mind you. Uh, You know, just bringing you the news. We'll go over to what they had to say after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooperwriter Show. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. So we're covering this story by the Kentucky Lantern called Distrust of Fluoride, Mind-Boggling. Mineral is time-tested and a good thing dentists say. The subtitle is GOP lawmakers push bill to make adding fluoride to the water optimal against advice of Kentucky dentists. Now, what's interesting, too, is they're talking about Kentucky dentists. Uh, we'll be digging into their their failure there, but they're going back to the old well of, well, this is uh, the experts say this is a bad idea, right? So we start off by saying 
Uh, as a dental hygienist working with low-income school children in Louisville, Jennifer Hashish said the untreated tooth disease she saw was shocking. Some teens had decay so severe that they had their teeth pulled and be fitted with dentures. Middle school students reported being unable to sleep because of pain from infected and abscessed teeth. First and second graders require inpatient oral surgery under anesthesia because of severity of tooth and gum disease. It's heart-wrenching says Hashish, who's on the steering committee of the Kentucky's Oral Health Coalition. Adults don't fare much better. Kentucky ranks 49th in overall oral health and is among the top states in the number of toothless older adults. And last year, a University of Kentucky oral health physician described to legislators patients being airlifted to UK hospital because of life-threatening infections from dental disease. Yet a group of lawmakers, led by Representative Mark Hart, is pushing a bill to make fluoridation optional for local water districts, despite what Hashish and others, including the American Dental Association and Kentucky Dental Association, say is overwhelming evidence fluoride safely helps reduce tooth decay. Now, what's funny is, is they go to dentists to talk about, to be experts on this. And it's funny that you would only talk to dentists about this because it's kind of like asking um let's see it's kind of like asking i don't know a heart surgeon uh what the best thing to do for your body is and they say well you should go running you should you should run as often as you can go run outside get fresh air that's great for you and then you go see i don't know a um doctor of what orthopedic doctor who's, you know, looking at your legs, feet and says, um, well, you know, you have a stress fracture in your foot. So if you go and run, you're actually going to be doing more damage. What's best for you is to take it slow on a bike, ease your way into it. That's going to be the best thing for your heart health, not heart health. Sorry, that's going to be the best thing for your body. So both of them are experts in their fields. One's a heart expert. One's an expert on orthopedic stuff. <laughs> and they're both saying something different. One's telling you go run. The other one's telling you take it easy for a little bit. Why? Because they're experts in their own fields. They have tunnel vision. So when you're talking to these dentists about water fluoridation, all they're thinking about is tooth health. That's all they're thinking about. They're not looking at all the other aspects. And like I said, I encourage you to go back to listen to where I interviewed Cindy Baston on this last week. Yeah, last week, I interviewed Cindy Baston on this, a good in-depth interview where we went through what some of the research says. Now, all throughout this article, it continues like this. Oh, it's the experts say this is what it's about. The experts say this is what it's about. Actually, they go on to say in committee, this is from the article, please listen to our professional advice and continue to provide consistent fluoride access to our patients in community water supplies, urge Marianne Brush, sorry, representing the Kentucky Association of Dental Hygienists. They didn't. Instead, the committee approved House Bill 141 by a vote of 16 to 1, framing it not as a public health issue, but rather one of local autonomy. The bill is now pending in the House. They go on to quote many people talking about setting their hair on file, fire. They go on to talk about how adding fluoride to the water is grounded in science. Don't you know? It's grounded in science. But yet, they don't actually present any evidence on the other side of people saying that this is not good for you, this is not grounded in science. Something 
that this reporter had easy access to. How do I know that? Because I bothered to watch the actual committee hearing on this bill. And when I watched the committee hearing on this bill, Cindy Baston, nurse, who uh, uh, you know has really championed this issue, who was on the show, she testified during this. And it was clear during the testimony that she knew way more about fluoride and what's going into our water and where it's coming from. Remember, this is a byproduct of fertilize, uh, fertilizer creation, phosphorus fertilizer creation byproduct that is labeled as toxic waste that is being dumped into our water. Like if a uh, water district now said, hey, you can't put fluoride in it anymore, uh, they would have to find a place to dispose of this that could handle toxic waste. That's what's being dropped in. But so there was obvious, obvious experts and people and references this article could be making to present the other side, you know, in a nonpartisan, honest, fair way. The same thing they claim, and they're about me, that they're trying to do. But they didn't do it. Nowhere in the article do they talk about the other side's arguments about what the dangers of fluoride are. In fact, in fact, it's funny, they actually went to, um, uh, when they did talk about the science surrounding the ideas that this isn't great, they called it junk science. That's right. This article quoted somebody calling it junk science without ever telling you what this junk science is because they don't want you to go look. Because if you bothered to go look about what this so-called junk science is on water fluoridation, you'd find out that the editor-in-chiefs of JAMA one of the leading medical uh, publishers in 2019 published a government-funded study on this that they discussed, and you know what they said? They said after looking at this study, they would have to advise pregnant women to not drink fluoridated water, to not drink tap water if it has fluoride added in. That's what they said. And what's so funny is all this, these elitist jerks, and that's what I'm going to call them, these elitist jerks in here. You know, the elitist jerk who wrote this, this Deborah Yetter, this, these elitist so-called health professionals say, no, it's good for you. It's good for you. No, no, we need to force this medication on you because we say it's good for you. When do you think the last time is they drank the tap water? When do you think the last time they got water out of a faucet that was city water and drank it that wasn't filtered? I guarantee you if they're drinking this water, it's being filtered. Otherwise, they're drinking out of water bottles. They're drinking out of purified water fountains. They're drinking out of water purified other sources. Maybe they're drinking out of wells. They're not drinking city treated water. Yet they sit there and say, no, 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 everybody else has to take this because we think it's best. And then they start quoting. I mean, in here, do they ever quote any actual data on this? No. They just reference a lot of times about fluoride being added to drinking water since 1951 as if that's evidence that this is good to do. We've been doing it since 1951. This is great. We've decided the science has settled on this. And in 1951, as Cindy Baston said, they were talking about what's the best brand of cigarettes. Your doctor had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he was looking at you on the exam table. And yet we're going to say, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think that science is worth looking at. That science is settled. This isn't worth digging into, like, at all, apparently. 
And that just goes to show why are these media places failing? It's what they're choosing to show us. They're, they're peddling misery and despair that fits their narrative. Like this white supremacist march down in Paducah, which probably doesn't even have people from Kentucky in it, breeding hate and distrust in a community where they had this white supremacist group marching that I would be shocked. I would bet a fair amount of money. There wasn't a single person that lived in Kentucky in that march. Part of the reason why is because they went to Paducah. They didn't come to Lexington. They didn't come to, you know, a central city. They went to Paducah. Why? Because it's on the border because they're not from Kentucky, I would bet. A lot of them aren't. No, they want to cover that. They want to breed distrust. They want to breed uh, uh, you to hate your legislators. They, they want you to not think for yourself and they want you to be miserable. And then they wonder why they are failing. That's why they're failing. Coming up after this, we'll be discussing uh, another bill that made it through the House, had uh, some robust discussion last week, a bill on youth uh, work laws, labor laws regarding to the youths. We'll have that when we get back here on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. We'll see you back here in a few, few short minutes. So yesterday I had mentioned how the, you know, the, the Democrats out here, especially in Kentucky, they want us to be sniveling brats that can't stand on our own, that can't make it on our own, that have to beg them for substance, had to beg the government for substance. They want us as absolutely useless as they can possibly make us. And they got to start us early. And it's this challenge that House Bill 255 had, uh, this challenge against uh, this notion that Democrats took a huge problem with. What's House Bill 255 doing? It passed out of the House. House Bill 255 is removing any extra um, regulations on labor laws if you're under 18 beyond what the federal government is. And so basically saying, look, whatever the federal government says, that's what our labor laws are in Kentucky. We're not going to regulate youth labor more than uh, what the federal government does. And Josie Raymond, a Democrat... Uh, out of Louisville, I believe she's running for city council now. She she had words on House Bill 255. We're going to listen to about two minutes of what she's talking about here. Um, I'm going to stop it a little bit between, talk about what she said, but let's take a listen to how she starts off here. This bill won't affect all kids, of course. It won't affect privileged kids whose parents are paid well enough to cover their basic needs. My kids won't be working 40 hours a week or more during high school. This bill targets low-income kids, migrants, the ones new to America, the ones who need to help their families cover living expenses, and whose parents lack positional power and social capital and white privilege. Let's rewind real quick, okay? So she just said that this bill allowing youth to work uh, is only going to benefit those with quote-unquote white privilege and privilege and isn't going uh, is going to damage those who don't have that white privilege. So I guess minorities, uh, in her words, immigrants. Why? She is putting out an argument, pausing an argument, that families that are struggling to get by uh, will have their kids work as much as they possibly can uh, in order to make sure they're contributing to the household so they can do better in the household, so they can make more money in the household, so they can pay their bills. That's what she's positing. And she's positing that by taking away these regulations, uh, only privileged people won't be affected by it. 
Josie's got a big problem and a hole in her argument. Because see, actually, these laws do the opposite now. I covered this before when this bill first was being discussed in committee and people are losing their minds. But in the state of Kentucky, there are certain youths that can work as much as the parent wants them to. And those are youths whose parents own the business that they're working in. And I mentioned this at the time that my 12-year-old son who works in my businesses that I own will have more job experience, understand what it is to earn an income, and because, of course, you know, we pay him for work he does, and will have a better work ethic than any other child unless their parent also owns a business that they worked in. That is a privilege, creating a sect of children who, as they become adults, has potentially five, six, seven more years of work experience than their peers and understand the concept of how to behave in a workplace, which is very important to success later on in life, very important, they will be set up better for success. And she has another point too. They say, well, you know, if, if these employers will be making these kids work as much as they can. I believe she says that later on. Maybe she doesn't in this clip. But anyways, these employers will make them work as much as they can. And if you have a parent that's going to allow you to work as much as you can, I would hazard a guess to say, like literally would have you while you're going to school with your grades slipping, work 50, 60 hours a week while your grades are slipping. While you're getting F's, I would hazard guess say either A, that's not a really good parent, or B, they're recognizing potentially their 16, 17 year old child isn't really learning much more in school that they're going to use later on in life. And it's a better use of their time to get job experience so they can be better set up for success. It's possible that that's the thing they're thinking too. I'm not going to cascade every parent that would have their kid work a lot of hours as bad parents, but I'm going to say a large percentage of them are bad parents. And with that in mind, I would like to posit that what else would these kids be doing if they weren't working? Because it's these regulations that are stopping employers from hiring these kids in the first place. Josie's going to talk about what the current regulations are in a second. Uh, so we'll be able to go over that. But what would they be doing elsewise? You really think what? They would be doing much better in school if they just had more time on their hands? If they're the type of family and kid that chooses to work and fail school, they're not the type of kid and family generally that would allow their kid, if they weren't working, would be sitting down and hitting the books because school's real important to them. That wouldn't be the case. So I posit it's better that they're working at this point, keeps them out of trouble because they're going to be looking for income elsewhere with all that free time they have. And if we can show them a way to make a legal income early, especially at 14, 15, I've talked about this before, but a friend of mine heavily involved with youth advocacy, youth violence, and in amongst the uh, black community, and he will tell you, if you ask him, what age do these kids start selling drugs, getting involved with gangs? He'll tell you 13, 14, 15, and you ask him why, he'll say, because it doesn't pay much. They only make 100, 150 bucks selling drugs on the corner, but it's money for them to go out and buy an Xbox. It's money for them to go out and buy a PlayStation. It's money for them to go out and buy shoes or a watch or something. So that way then they can get the things their parents can't afford to buy them. So rather than having them go work on the corner selling drugs, getting involved in illegal gang activity, let's show them a path to make an a legal income that also builds them into the future to be well-adjusted and good adults. 
But what are the current rules? What's here? What's here, Josie? Uh, uh, tell us how great the current rules are and how they're perfectly fine. The sponsor said in committee, if a 16 or 17 year old wants to work, he or she should be able to do so. I agree. So I want to reiterate what our current widely permissive child labor laws say. Today, 14 and 15 year olds in Kentucky can work three hours per day on a school day, eight hours per day on a non-school day. They can work eight hours a day, 40 hours a week when school's not in session. 14 and 15 year olds can work between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. right now. So I didn't realize this until I was watching this clip earlier, pre preparation for the show. My first job would have been not legal for me to work on if these laws were in place where I was working at when I was 14. Because I was 14 years old, and on Fridays and Saturday nights, I would go to, uh, I worked at a, like a, like a party center. It was on a golf course. They would have like weddings and events. It was an event venue. And I was, I would wash dishes. So I would come in towards, nah, I would sometimes come in at the beginning of the event to help prep if they didn't have somebody. But I normally would come in kind of as they're serving dinner is when I, my shift would start. And as dishes were collected up, as people ate, dishes were collected up, they'd be brought into the kitchen and I would wash dishes. Oh, a reasonable job for a 14 year old to do. Perfectly reasonable. I'm washing dishes. And I would work though, I'd have to work until that party, that place uh, was left and it was done. And so I would be working till midnight, 1 a.m. It's on Fridays and Saturdays. I don't have school the next day. I'm working a, a from you know four o'clock to midnight. So I'm working eight hours a day, but because of that 7 p.m. cutoff, I wouldn't have had the opportunity I had as a kid. I turned out just fine. I didn't come from necessarily a, a, a privileged family. We were lower middle class probably at the time. So I didn't come from a, a privileged family per se. My grades were okay. My, my, I have two older sisters. They did very well in school. One has her PhD in chemistry. They all worked at 14. Same, same place. Actually, I worked with my sister here. So it, it just goes to show. She just said that the job I would work as a kid would be illegal. In the summer, they can work as late as nine. 16 and 17-year-olds right now can work six hours a day on a school day. Six hours a day on a school day. They can work eight hours a day on a non-school day. They you know, and the other thing she brought up too was the three hours. Um, that's really hard on a business. It would be better to be four because four hours make better sense, you know, with the scheduling of shifts. And so she just goes on like this. She's off her rocker. Of course, once again, the Democrats showing us just how crazy they are. I'm running up against the clock. We may have to pick up this discussion tomorrow. Um, you're listening to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. We'll be back here tomorrow, 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. Have a great rest of your day. Sorry to kind of cut it off here, but that tells you you got to come back tomorrow for more. Have a great day.